Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We're in Titus chapter 2 today, and if, it's, if you've been with us, or maybe this is your first time here, we as a church have just been journeying through this little letter that Paul the Apostle writes to a young pastor named Titus, and Titus is on the island of Crete, and Paul really gives Titus his like mission, the thing that he's supposed to go out and do, and it's to set things straight that got crooked or twisted. In fact, that is the tagline of this series, setting straight what is crooked, and I, what I found is this book is so applicable to us in our time right here in 2023. And, and it's so cool that God would inspire Paul through the Holy Spirit to instruct Titus on how to lead in that crazy environment. And really, there's so much application for us even today. And uh, so far in this series, we've been talking about how Paul, or, or how there needs to be healthy leadership. Paul tells Titus, hey, uh, you're in a crazy environment. Make sure that you have healthy leaders who set the right tone and the right place for people. And then he moves on and he talks about how there's false doctrine starting to spread in the church and, and get in there. And he's like, hey, it's ruining whole households, so you need to stop all that false doctrine. And then last week we talked about the different stages of life and what it means to have healthy living, how the church can be healthy in the different stages of life to be this signpost pointing to the world about Jesus. And this week, kind of in along the same lines of thinking, but we kind of switch our attention to healthy living when it comes to the workplace. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of hot mic situations. Anybody know what those are? You know what a hot mic is? Yep, some of you. If you don't know what a hot mic is, it's when your microphone is on, but you think that it's muted or that the, they have it, the power's off or something, but it's not. And so you're having a private conversation and all of a sudden it turns public and everyone gets to hear what's going on. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to find some. Give us some illustrations. Guess what? They're all inappropriate. Like, there's not one video I found. There's not one thing. And I did find two, and I'll share them here in a minute. But, like, it was really hard to be like, oh, uh, this is the intro. This is how we're going to do it. Because everything is inappropriate. Like, I saw it from athletes, the things that they say. Tiger Woods had a few of them. Uh, you know, like, I, I saw actors and actresses who, you know, they thought the mics were dead and stuff, but they weren't. Like, um, man, First Service had to help me with this, too. The guy who played Batman. Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale had a hot mic situation. He just let loose on everybody on set. Like, it was not a good thing at all. And I was like, wow. And there was a lot of words in there, you know? Like, he, he just really let everybody have it there. Um, I, I read actually about a bride, uh, bride and groom. They just got married, and they're doing a video for the people that came to their wedding, and uh, the mic was on. They're testing everything, and she comments to her husband about what married couples do on wedding nights, and he was like, well, this is real great because now we've got that on video forever to, for all of our family to find out about. But, uh, you know, politicians are known to have it as well, again, about their opponents or about other things going on, things that they think are private but become very public. So to find one that was halfway decent, I had to go all the way back to 1984. Anybody? Like, I was one years old in 1984. Anybody remember the 80s? Yeah, we had some people really excited about the 80s last service. But 1984 is how far back I had to go to find something appropriate. And it was with Ronald Reagan. He was the president at that time, and uh, he was doing a, he was addressing the nation through his Saturday morning radio program. And some of you are like, radio? Do people even do that anymore, you know? But he was addressing the nation, and, and you know, if I come in here and they're like, hey, Nate, we got to test your mic, I'll go, hey, check, check, one, two, test the mic, might say a few things, you know, read something out of the Bible. 
but uh, Ronald Reagan decided not to do any of that. In fact, this is what he decided to do to test his microphone. He said, they said, hey, sir, can you test the microphone? And he goes, my fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> I think mic check one, two would have probably worked just fine. Like, you know, hey, hey, what's up? You know, like that would have been just fine. So as you can imagine, things didn't go over very well. Like that was not very well received. But it's not just in our country where we have all these blunders. Great Britain also has this. And long before he became King Charles, uh, Prince Charles himself had quite a few moments of blunders himself. In fact, he's doing a press shoot around the Swiss Alps and all that. And he turns to somebody and he says, I hate doing this and I hate these people. Tell us how you really feel, you know, like even doing an interview with the BBC, uh, he's, he's being interviewed by this one man and they're kind of on break or whatever. And he turns to one of his sons and he goes, I cannot bear that man. He is so awful. You know, like, it's just like, tell us how you really feel about the interview guy. Like, you know, you're just really expressing it. None of that stuff ever goes over well. Hot mic situations are very rarely a good thing. They're often a bad thing. And I share all of this to say this. We all need to conduct ourselves in a way knowing that as followers of Jesus, people are listening and people are watching our lives to see if our behavior lines up with our beliefs. And so we need to pay attention to the way that we act in the workplace because whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, the microphone is always on. And so if you're taking notes today, uh, the title of the message is Hot Mics and the Workplace. Hot Mics in the Workplace. Because Paul wants the church to be people who have an impact for the glory of God. Not just in the church, not just in the city, not just in their neighborhoods, but also in their workplace. And you might be thinking, well, why is any of this important? Because this week I thought, I would never pick to ever talk about this or even think to talk about this unless we were going verse by verse through the, through, uh, the Bible. And so that's what makes it really cool to be able to go verse by verse as we come to things that we might not necessarily want to talk about. And so we might think immediately, well, why is this even important? Why should we even talk about this? Well, I did a little research this week, and what I come to find out is that uh, you will spend 90,000 hours of your lifetime at work. 90,000 hours. That is a long time to be in the workplace. So this is very important for us to know how to conduct ourselves, how to behave in the workplace. And as we look at this passage, we need to ask ourselves today, what does my example, what does my presence at work say about me as a follower of Jesus? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? Is it different from other people? And again, don't misunderstand anything that's said today. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you're a Christian in the workplace, and so you float on the clouds as you walk in. You're like, yes, I am here. I am, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, you know? It doesn't mean that you get it right every single time. You never make mistakes, that you put on this fake it till I make it kind of approach to your life. It's not about just doing the right thing one time. It's about a pattern of doing right things. That, man, I shouldn't have acted that way. And you go and you say, hey, I'm sorry I acted that way. That's not what a follower of Jesus should do. Hey, I shouldn't have said that way. And so we make things right. We, we be these examples in the workplace. It's not about perfection. It's about setting the right place, the right example in our workplace. So let's see what Paul has to say. Pick up Titus chapter 2. Pick up with me in verse 9. He says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. 
They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This set of verses is set up pretty easily. Paul starts off with the command, telling what bondservants are to do. He then lists off five things that we are to be about and not to be about. And then at the very end of verse 10, he gives us the reason why all of this is important. Now, before we start digging into this, seeing the application for our lives, what any of this has to do with us here in 2023, we have to deal with some language that's talked about here in the Bible. Because I just said bondservants and masters. Some of your translations might even say slaves and masters. And so when we hear those words, slaves and masters, for many of us, our minds, we hear those words, we're triggered to think about our own history as a country. We think about slaves and masters that we've seen in our nation and around the world. And that type of, uh, that type of slavery that we've seen, that we think about, is one of the most evil institutions that have ever existed in our history. I don't think any of that's controversial to say. I think we all would agree that that's one of the most evil institutions ever. And the only reason why I feel like I have to say that is because there are people who have sadly tried to support that kind of evil by opening up the Bible and using passages like this and in other places in the Bible to try to justify what we've done as a country or why it's okay to have slaves. But if you've ever listened to anybody who's ever said that, or if anybody ever tries to interpret the Bible that way, that is a mishandling of Scripture, and they are manipulating and and mishandling the Bible, and they should not be listened to. In fact, I love what one pastor, his name is um, Tim Keller, and uh, he passed away recently, uh, but he, uh, he was a pastor and he wrote a book. He's written a lot of books, but one of the books I love uh, is uh, The Reason for God. And he said this, addressing that, he said, this is a classic case of ignoring the cultural and historic, historical differences between us and the writer and the readers of the original text. In the first century Roman Empire, when the New Testament was written, There was not a great difference between slaves and the average free person. Slaves were not distinguishable from others by race, speech, or clothing. They looked and lived like most everyone else and were not segregated from the rest of society in any way. From a financial standpoint, slaves made the same wages as free laborers and therefore were not usually poor. Also, slaves could accrue enough personal capital to buy themselves out. Most important of all, very few slaves were slaves for life. Most could reasonably hope to be manumitted or released within 10 or 15 years or by their late 30s. So here's what all this means. When it comes to words like this in the Bible, when we come to words like slaves and and masters and bondservants and all that, we need to remember that the African slave trade was based on race, operated through kidnapping, violence, and trafficking. And listen, all of that stuff is condemned in the Bible. None of that is being endorsed here in Titus chapter 2. In fact, Paul, he's writing to another young pastor. His name is Timothy. And he's writing to him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he's talking about different things that should not mark believers, things that they shouldn't do. And owning slaves, doing slave trade, is one of those things that he's like, that should not be a follower of Jesus. That should not mark us. We should not own slaves. We don't own people. We don't buy into all of that stuff. And so clearly in the Bible, it is condemned. 
So then that begs to ask the question, so then what does it mean? What are slaves? What are masters? What are bondservants? What are these things? Why use these terms? Why did it even exist? Well, in ancient times, there was no formalized bankruptcy. And so when you became a slave or a bondservant, that was a form of chapter 11 bankruptcy. So it's important for us to know that this was a voluntary thing because of debt or because of poverty, not because of kidnapping, trafficking, and race. It was to help the poor survive and to pay off their debt. It's, impo- it's also important for us to know that ancient slavery did not include the whole person. What it included was their productivity. That's what was under the master's control. It was their time and their talent. So anytime when we read the Bible, we come to these words, bondservants, slaves, servants, masters, you have to look at what's being said through the lens of the culture at that point in history. So now with that background, that knowledge, understanding some of that stuff, what is the application for us? What is this, how does this apply to us? Because what Paul gives bondservants there in the first century can be applied to the modern worker today. See, a general application would just be simply this. You're in the workplace. You're employed. There are responsibilities that you have. You have supervisors. You have employers. You have bosses. You have people that are over you. And so really, Paul lays out three things when it comes to our work. It's where you work matters, how you work matters, and why you work matters. So let's look at the first one. Where you work matters. See, so far in the series, we've been saying that Paul did not call out and tell Titus, hey, you need to leave this area. You need to get out of there. You know, don't, don't, don't live with all these heathens in Crete. Like, you got to get out. No, he tells them, hey, you got to live faithfully in Crete. You got to be a faithful presence there. In fact, even Jesus in Luke 19, they thought the kingdom of God was at hand. It was really, really close. And Jesus was like, no, let me tell you a parable of what it's like. And so he tells the parable, and really what he's getting at is, hey, you need to occupy until I come again. He doesn't say, hey, you need to go off and find your own Christian bubbles, you know, go up to the mountain away from all these people. Like, you know, he says you need to occupy. We need to be faithful with where we're at until he comes again. So the reason why we work and live faithfully in our culture is so that the world will see that God is our Savior and that God wants to be their Savior as well. And here in verses 9 and 10, Paul lists off five character qualities, gives us another list that should mark bondservants. And he starts off by saying that bondservants are to be submissive. See, there's that word again. Last week we talked about submissive. If you missed, in the Greek, it's hupotasso. It's a military term that means to come under or come after someone else. You willingly submit yourself under someone else. And so Paul uses this word again when talking to workers. And, and it almost seems like it's maybe one of Paul's favorite words because as, uh, as you look throughout the Bible, he talks about it, it later on in, in Titus. He talks about it earlier on in Titus. And now again, he's talking about it when it comes to workers. But he talks about it in his letter in Ephesians when he talks about husbands and wives, that they are supposed to submit to one another. He talks about it with kids, that they are to submit to their parents. He then in Romans chapter 13 talks about it, that we are to submit to governing authorities. And so there's all these times that he uses this word when talking to us as people, how to live in our times. But when he's talking about this with, with bondservants, what's interesting to me about these verses is that Paul assumes that our employment, our work will take place out in the world. 
Paul's not thinking when he's writing the New Testament that every Christian that has ever lived in the history of the world is going to go, now I'm a Christian. I must now go start a nonprofit. Let me go over here and live on the mountain away from all these people. That's not what it is at all. Paul knows that we will work in a place and in a culture that does not share the same values or beliefs that Christians have. And so as Paul starts to list off these instructions on how we are to act in the workplace, he starts off to want to make sure that one thing is very clear. As we are out there in the workplace, as we are out there in the world, that we are submissive in everything. Now, this doesn't mean that, we, that Paul is endorsing the values, the faith, or even the lack of faith from our employers. It doesn't mean, well, my employer, he's, he's, uh, he, do, he doesn't believe in God, so I guess I'm not supposed to believe in God. He's an atheist. I guess I'm an atheist now, you know. Uh, he's not this. I guess I'm this now, you know. Like, that's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, Paul wrote to the people in Philippians, and as he's writing that, he's addressing people who worked in Caesar's household, but he never once endorsed Caesar's values or beliefs. So when Paul says bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, the everything that he's talking about is everything that relates to your work responsibilities. See, we need to understand that where, our, where we work matters. But the reality is all of us, we fall into one of two categories. For some of us, we see work as a necessary evil. I know I've said this. You've probably said this too. Oh, I'm just working to pay the bills, you know? Which now it kind of seems like a joke because, I mean, have you seen the prices of things? Like, it just keeps going up and up and up. And it's like, I don't know that I can even do that. But, you know, I'm just trying to put food on the table, just trying to provide for the family. If I have a little bit more or a little extra, then maybe I'll give it to the church. But that's how we view our work. Nothing more, nothing less. We go to our job Monday through Friday, but we're living for the weekend. We see work as a necessary evil. But then there are others of us who view work as the source of our identity. We deify work. Work is everything. Work is where you get your sense of value, your meaning, your purpose. Your career is everything. Your resume is the source of who you are. Your job title means everything to you. And for some, I've met people who are like, man, if my calendar's not full, if I don't have that job title, if I'm not working in that job, then I don't even know who I am. Now, I'm not saying that you can't love what you do. I'm not saying that you can't wake up and be excited to go to work. You should do those things. That should be a good thing. I mean, what do they say? Like, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So you find something that you love to do. Enjoy it. Be excited to get to work. Be excited to be like, man, I get to go to work today. But don't treat your job as God. Don't let your job be the source of your identity. On the reverse side, if you're like, man, I hate my job. Like, I can't even stand it. I, I wake up and it's miserable. Listen, I hope and my prayer has been that you would see things a little bit differently today. Again, it's all about making sure that work has the right place in our lives. See, because according to the Bible, work is not to be dismissed. If you don't work, you don't eat, right? Like, that's a verse. It's not to be dismissed. It's not to be deified. We should redefine it in light of God's word. And Titus chapter 2 gives us examples of how to make sure it has the right place in our lives. I mean, if you think about it, when you look at the Bible as a whole, the, it's a book written by workers, about workers, and for workers. Go back to Genesis. Joseph, he's a government official. He was in charge of the agriculture, the economy, the immigration policy. He was working in a place that did not love the God of Israel. 
But Joseph knew he could serve God best by working his government job. David, he was in shepherding, military. He also was in the government. Daniel was an immigrant who attended Babylon's version of Oxford. He became the prime minister. Lydia was a successful businesswoman in textiles. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus, who is God in flesh, coming down from heaven, down to earth. Jesus was a carpenter. So when you look at the Bible as a whole, it's written by workers, about workers, and for workers. But all too often, in the discussion of our spiritual life, our work gets ignored. Think about um, Daniel and Joseph. They knew that they were the children of God. They knew that that was who they were. They didn't leave. They didn't go, well, hey, we got to get out of here. No, they lived in their environment. They lived in their place. They knew they could take care of people best in the place that they were, where God had them, because where you work matters. Now, if you're a Christian, for some of you, you're thinking, well, where do I draw the line? I understand that my workplace may not have Christian values, may not believe the same things that I believe, hold, the share, hold my values and that, so where do I draw the line? In fact, in 2020, I had many people come to me and saying, my work's making me do this, my work's making me do that, I don't feel like I need to do this, or this doesn't feel right. And many of you were like, where do I draw the line? I think 2020 taught us a lot of that stuff. But what I'll do is I'll just give you a very simple principle that needs to be worked out in your own life when it comes to drawing the line. It's when your work commands what God forbids or when your work forbids what God commands. Say it again. It's when your work commands what God forbids or when work forbids what God commands. It's a simple principle but it's one that needs to be worked out on a daily basis. Otherwise, we lose our witness. So where you work matters, but number two, how you work matters. He gets now down to the how we do all of this stuff. Look at what he says at the end of verse nine. He says, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. See, what Paul is getting at here is that as followers of Jesus, We don't walk around acting like we don't care about our responsibility. We don't care about authority. Because again, we're listening to the first thing that he said, that we are submitting ourselves. We are voluntarily placing ourselves under or after someone else. So we are submitting to them. But then we're living out what Colossians 3.23 says, that whatever you do, you work heartily because you're not doing it for man. You're doing it for the Lord. But when we work in a way that honors and glorifies God, it silences the critics. But then he gives us some specific instructions on how to do this. First thing he says is that we need to try to please them. When you look at what this means, it means doing a job well done or doing a job with excellence. See, there could be a temptation for many of us who, who uh, when it comes to our work, we could just be like, well, I'm just working for the man. You know, I'm just, I, just trying to make them richer, apparently. That's all I'm doing. None of that, none of this matters. We just go, well, you know what, I'm going to show up, I'm going to clock in, do the bare minimum, and then I'm going to clock out and go home. But what Paul is instructing here is that should not be the case when it comes to Christians. We don't approach our responsibilities that way. So today, we need to ask ourselves, does this attitude characterize my life when it comes to work? We should not be half-hearted or careless when it comes to our work. Lazy workers will not be pleasing to an employer, and really, it's not pleasing to the Lord. So to put it simply, Paul's basically saying, hey, do good work. 
whatever job you have. Listen, you may not fully agree with every aspect of that job. You may not fully identify with every particular responsibility of that job. But Paul's like, you have a job. So work hard at it. Then he addresses the fact that in your job, you're going to come in contact with people that, guess what? You're not going to agree with. You're going to disagree on some stuff. And so he says this, do not be argumentative, meaning don't talk back. Be respectful. What this verse is getting at is when talking to authorities in the workplace, we need to be very careful on how we use our words. No matter how common it is to respond to a boss, a supervisor, a colleague, a coworker with rude or bitter complaints, we need to be polite and communicate in a way that is respectful. This week, I was thinking about my jobs that I've, I've had over the years, and I worked in a restaurant. In fact, my restaurant it had a morning manager, an afternoon manager, a nighttime manager, and a manager over all of that. Like, it was a lot of people. And I remember how common it was to just completely trash the boss. I know how this is done. I could do this better. I don't know what he's talking about. Man, do you see him? Like, and, and it's so easy for everybody to join in and rally behind that and go, yeah, he's terrible. Yeah, she doesn't know what she's doing. It was so easy to just start going in there and doing bitterness and, and all these other things coming in at that boss. So easy to trash him. But what Paul is saying here is this should not be the case when it comes to followers of Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what's being said here. This doesn't mean that you are a doormat and you should never address any kind of injustice in the workplace. That's not what Paul is talking about here. There will be times when you might have to address abuse, address an injustice in the workplace. But when you do, the command, the thing that we are to do as followers of Jesus is do it with respect. See, Paul is really warning us about any kind of casual complaint or argumentative spirit against those in authority over us. And Paul's got some credibility in this area. It's not like he's just writing it to write it. He knows what he's talking about. If you look at the book of Acts, which is just really the early church beginnings, when you start reading through the book of Acts, you could see that Paul was often falsely accused. He was arrested by the government under false charges. Paul openly disagreed with it, but he did it in a way that was respectful. There's a respectful way to address things that are wrong in the workplace. But let me talk to people who are employers. Maybe you're a boss here. You're in the military. You oversee people here today. I know that Paul is specifically talking to bond servants, but listen, the Bible would also say this applies to you. If you're over people, this applies to you. In fact, even in James, it says, hey, don't even treat your workers in a bad way. You You are to treat them right. Be respectful to them. Treat them good. And so while this is dealing with bond servants, employees, Employers, you're not off the hook. We need to do the same thing. But then he moves on to ethics. Now, we should not, now we don't use this word, pilfer. We don't use that a whole lot, but we're not to be people who steal. We're to be honest. And that word pilfer in the Greek, it means to put aside for oneself or to misappropriate. It's where we get our word embezzlement from. And this week as I was reading through commentaries, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading said it would have been a very tempting thing for these bond servants under the master's care. It would have been very tempting for them to want to steal for whatever it is that they were in charge of. Maybe it was steal some land, steal some jewels, steal some money, steal some food. Whatever it was that they were in charge of, it would have been very tempting for them to say, well, I'll just take a little bit for myself. Now, 
Isn't that very much how it is in 2023? Don't we just go, well, I'm going to take a little off the top for myself? Yeah, it's only a cash-only business because we don't want to pay taxes, you know? We take office supplies that we shouldn't. We, we maybe, like, uh, take equipment from, from work that we shouldn't maybe take because we didn't ask for permission for it. Might pocket some money. Maybe inflate the timesheet, you know, just, I got to get paid more, so I got to really say that I work really hard and do all these things, knowing that you don't do any of those things. And this week, as I was looking at this, as I was studying it, I felt really convicted because, again, we're not talking about perfection. When I look at me and, and myself when I was at work, I didn't always live up to all these standards. There were times where I remember tipping people out, and I'd be like, one for you, two for me, one for you, three for me, you know? I remember what it was like to go, well, I got I to gotta milk the clock because I need to get my paycheck needs to hit this much money. Listen, I'm not talking about perfection. But I'm talking about setting the right standards, setting the right place, the right pace at the workplace. Again, by God's grace, I was able to redeem some of that stuff. But if many of us, if we act this way, we can't be like, well, you know, I'm just doing what everybody else does. We don't do that. We don't justify it. We don't take part in it because ultimately we are hurting our employer. We're hurting our master. We're damaging the Lord's name and we're hurting our witness. So now, juxtapose that with how we are to work. We should work in a way that where it's visibly, where we are visibly trustworthy and reliable. We work in a way that we can be fully trusted. Listen, character and integrity in the workplace are so important. Listen, most of us don't even know if or when we are ever going to share about the hope that we have in Jesus. We don't know if we're ever going to really be able to ever talk about what we really believe. And here's the thing. We don't want to live in a way, we don't want to work in a way that two years into the job, you're like, man, I'd like to invite you to church. Like the Lord's doing some things in my life. I, you know, I think it'd be really cool if you came and, and you saw what the Lord could do. Maybe, you know, you, you just start talking to him. You start witnessing to him. You don't want this response where they choke on their food, they spit out their drink in your face, and they start laughing at your face. Like, what? You? You're a follower of Jesus? Of all people, I would never think you're a follower of Jesus. There's no way I would have guessed it in a million years. I would have never guessed it. None of us want that response. None of us want to uh, have, be laughed at that we are a follower of Jesus because of the way that we lived. We need to make sure our beliefs line up with our behavior. So work in a way where you are trustworthy. Be a signpost to the world pointing to something greater so that when you have the opportunity, you point to Jesus. Again, like I said, I, I haven't been perfect in this area. As I looked back, I was like, man, there was plenty of times I messed up, I screwed up, but by the grace of God, I was able to redeem some of that. There were times, again, I worked in a coffee shop in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Let me tell you, there's not a lot of people that come in there that believe in Jesus. There's a lot of people who want to challenge things. People be like, well, why do Christians act this way? Why do Christians say this thing? Why do they believe this? I don't know about that. And some of those questions are really hard questions to answer. But I'd come back and I'd say, you know, I don't know, but come back and I'm going to spend a couple days. I'm going to look it up and I'll figure it out and then I'll, I'll tell you why. And I'd come back a few days later, maybe a week later, and they'd be like, oh, you remember that conversation? They were surprised, but they liked having the, the conversation. They liked hearing it. 
There are plenty of ways that I could redeem that time and, and be able to make things different and show that witness. There would be people who would be like, man, you, don't, you never cuss that work. You never say those things. You never act that way. Why don't you do those things? And it gave me an opportunity to tell them why. Why I didn't act the way that everybody else acted. Again, going back to Joseph in Genesis. When you read that, he was unjustly sold by his brothers into slavery. He then became a servant in the house of an Egyptian official. But he worked with such integrity that his master, his boss, Potiphar, put him in charge of everything. Your character matters in the workplace. People are listening and people are watching you. The microphone is on. And the question we need to ask ourselves today, is our witness a good one? Or are there some character issues that Jesus would want to deal with in our life today? And listen, if you go, man, I messed this up. I've screwed up. This is, I realize now I shouldn't have been acting this way. Confess it, repent of it, turn from it, have a fresh start. Have a clean slate. So are there little compromises that you've made because you're like, well, this is just how things are done around here? Is there a gap between the way you are at home, the way you are at church, and how you are in the workplace? Listen, don't forget the impact that you can have. No matter where you find yourself on the corporate ladder, whether you're low man on the totem pole, listen, you can have influence. Or whether you're the boss, you can have influence. Be a faithful witness to Jesus in the workplace. But all of this, we go, okay, where we work matters, how we work matters. I get all this, but why? And all of this is leading to a why. Why is this important? Well, Paul concludes, and he really gets to the heart and the motivation of our work. And that's our third thought. Why you work matters. At the end of verse 10, Paul tells us what's at stake. He says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. See, I love that word adorn because in the Greek, it's where we get our word cosmetics from. And when we think of cosmetics, I think many of us, we think of makeup that women put on to kind of like highlight certain features or that actors and actresses will wear to to highlight or to make themselves look a certain way. But it's much deeper than that. The idea that Paul is communicating here is that we are arranging something in order to give it symmetry or beauty. Now, we've been talking about the gospel over the last several weeks. And and you might be saying, well, Nate, you say that the gospel is perfect. So is Paul trying to say here that we are to add to the gospel, to water it down, to make it more attractive, beautiful to people? That's not it at all. That's not what Paul is saying here. Again, we have to put ourselves in the time frame that this was written in. See, in ancient times, cosmetics was also used to talk about arranging jewels in a crown, in a necklace, or in a ring. So you are to arrange jewels in such a way that it best displays the beauty of that one gem. So that when we look at that crown, that necklace, that ring, whatever it is, we admire the craft of jewelry making. So what does any of this have to do with work? What does this word adorn have to do with us in the workplace? It's that we are to order our lives with care and attention, not to draw attention to ourselves, but attention to the one jewel that matters most, and that's Jesus. We don't live in a way to gain the praise of people. We don't live reliable, trustworthy lives just to get compliments from people in the workplace where they're like, man, you're so wise. (laughs) I know. I just read a lot, you know, got a lot of podcasts. Oh, you're so faithful. (laughs) Just the talent I got, you know. 
set my alarm up, you know, I'm good to go. That's not what it's to be. We're to point towards something else. We're to point to Jesus. When you work in a way that's faithful, and people say, man, you're really faithful. You go, yeah, I know, because I serve a God who is faithful. That even when I'm faithless, he is faithful to me. Listen, arrange your time and your efforts in a way that you show off the beauty of who you love the most. And listen, people in our culture, we do this all the time. We arrange things in our lives, our furniture. We arrange, we wear things to show that what we love the most. We want to always draw attention to the thing that we love the most. I thought of a silly example, bumper stickers, right? Like we see them all over. Things that we love the most. That's an indication. Like, especially being in a military town, what do we see? We have proud parents, proud mom, proud dad of a military, you know, someone in the military, especially if they just joined. You see that. Back in New Mexico, I remember seeing it. I don't see it a lot here. Maybe I'm just not paying attention, but I remember a lot in New Mexico seeing a proud parent of an honor roll student. And I was always like, hmm, yeah, you're real proud, huh? Yeah. But I would see that all the time. What do I see a lot here, though? I always see the uh, volunteers, like the Tennessee Vols, right? You got the big orange T on the back of the car or, you know, on the back of the truck. You got that big T right there, you know. Or if you're from Alabama, Roll Tide, you know, you got the, got the Alabama Crimson Tide, whatever that, whatever, you know, like got that big A there, you know, they're proud of that team, they got it, you know, we're proud to be that. You know what you never see is you never see cowboy stickers anymore on the back of uh, vehicles. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you did a lot in the 90s, but... You know, but, but we almost got a Bucky's, right? Like, uh, there, there's a Bucky's that almost opened up here. You know, we're still praying that we'll get one. But, you know, if you love Bucky's, yeah, we, okay, we are. The Lord's hearing, you know. Um, but if we ever get one, I love Bucky's. But if you ever get one, you're going to have the bumper stickers on the back. My kids are like, we got to get the bumper stickers. We got to show what Bucky's we've been to, you know. You wear the gear, you're drinking out of the cup. You know, you got all this stuff, you know. The Whataburger just opened up, you know? My kids are like, minds blown. They're like, Dad, I saw somebody walking around with a coffee cup. We got to get that thing. Like, that's awesome. Man, if they have got stickers, we got to put it on the back of our car. Why? Because they want to adorn our car with these things. That's what the word adorn means. That we can't help but be public about the things that we love the most. And so Paul's instruction is when you think about your place of work, Whatever sphere of influence you find yourself in today, arrange your life. Pay attention to the way that you order yourself so that you can display the beauty of God's truth. See, what should make Christians attractive, what should make the church attractive and influential in the world is that we live in a way that points to Jesus. The truth of the gospel needs to come out and shine in every aspect of your life. And this kind of living highlights the attractiveness of the gospel. In fact, I love what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3. He says, put in your heart, hearts, or put in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Here's the idea. We're to be verbal and visible witnesses for Jesus in this world. See, the best way to show that the gospel is attractive to the world is when the gospel is first attractive to you. 
When, when the work of Jesus has captured our hearts. I know, uh, work, you might struggle with your work, but we need to remember the gospel. We have to remember that we are saved by his work. Jesus, God in flesh, came to this earth in human form. He worked three-fourths of his life as a carpenter, which, if nothing else, gives dignity to what we would call ordinary work. But more importantly, it's his ultimate work that has provided salvation for us. It's the work that he lived the life we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. That he willingly went to the cross for your sin and my sin and the work of him rising again. And if we turn to Jesus and trust in that finished work, then we are saved, we are forgiven, and we are accepted by God. And now we are free to live and work the way God intended us to. Listen, Jesus laid down his life as a servant. He humbled himself. We could say it this way. He hupotassoed. He submitted himself. And he became the servant and sacrificed his life to save you. And today, he continues his work on your behalf. Jesus right now is on the right hand of the Father, interceding, mediating for you right now. He's still working for you. Why? Because he loves you. And when you receive his work for you, that brings new meaning as you work for others. So today, I don't think us, the application for us is to go out and find a new job, get a new boss. I don't think we need to do that. I think what we need to do is get the right perspective, get an eternal perspective on our work. What we need to do is we need to set our eyes on the things that are above. Listen, today, your value, your identity is in Christ not in the work you do. Whether you love it, whether you hate it, it's in Christ. It's in the work that Jesus has done for you. Think of it like this. Your job that you have right now, it's a temporary assignment, but it's one where you can make an eternal investment. See, those people that you're around 40 plus hours, maybe less, depending on what your work is like, those people that you're around that you may not agree with all the time, that you may not like, that maybe, honestly, you can't stand those people matter to God. He loves them as well. So when you go to work, maybe later today, maybe tomorrow morning, live out Colossians 3.23 that says, whatever you do, work hard for the Lord. Do it with all your heart because you're not doing it for man. You're doing it for the Lord. Don't forget the importance that your presence in the workplace can have because it's an open mic. It's a hot mic for the gospel. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.